This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Sarah Stein Greenberg. She's the Executive Director of Stanford's D School and author of Creative Acts for Curious People, How to Think, Create, and Lead in Unconventional Ways. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, John. It's great to be here. So before we get into the book, I'd, I bet you our audience would love to hear you describe what D-School is, who attends, how it's maybe different than a traditional sort of degree program. Absolutely. I have the pleasure of being a part of the Stanford D-School, as you mentioned, and we are an unconventional unit within the Stanford University campus. We actually, we are part of the School of Engineering, but we serve students and faculty from all across campus. So in our classes, you are as likely to be seated next to a medical student as you are an electrical engineer, as you are a business student. And what that creates is this incredibly interesting interdisciplinary dynamic where people are looking at problems that maybe that particular collection of disciplines has never looked at that particular challenge Mm -hmm. before together. And we find that when people from all those different disciplinary backgrounds come together, what they need is some kind of common vocabulary, some way to actually orient and organize themselves to be more collaborative and be more innovative together. And that is what we teach. So we teach a kind of design process that is really all about creative problem solving. Is it a program inside of a degree or can somebody just show up and say, hey, I want to go through this? A little bit of both. We have a close relationship with the design degrees at Stanford. There's some very similar DNA, but we, the D school was founded really to extend what was happening in the field of design to anyone. So like we have a core belief that you uh, do not need an advanced degree to be deemed a creative person. (laughs) Most people (laughs) who are very creative in the world don't have a degree in, in design or creativity or art. And actually, we want to see that definition continue. Creativity is just an innate human quality. And what we do at the D School is build the methods and the tools and train people who are coming from any background and who uh, want to be able to access that creativity and exercise it and apply it to the kinds of problems and opportunities that they find important. So do you do you find firms sending executives there to say, here, go learn how to be more creative? Yes, be more creative and then figure out how to bring it back and Mm. help, whether it's develop a new product or offering, whether Mm. it's help train other people within the company. And what's really interesting is it's businesses of all sizes um, and types, and also people who work in education, people who work in government increasingly. There's really this kind of emerging realization that we all need new approaches to problem solving. And actually, you're going to need to develop those and figure out how to keep being a learner and keep being creative over the whole course of your career. And so having that ability to come fresh at a problem and bring those fresh eyes, that's something that we can all use regardless of of what sector we're working in. And I guess we probably would have to unpack the word creative, right? Because I think a lot of people think of that and think, oh, we're going to go paint and that's going to make us more creative. But you're really almost thinking, I'm guessing at least you're thinking design thinking is strategic thinking is leadership. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's really very integrative. And for too long, we've associated creativity only with the arts. And of course, it's central to the arts. But I know so many incredibly creative business leaders, incredibly creative marketers, incredibly creative physicians or lawyers even. And not their fields aren't always perfectly designed to allow them to express that creativity. But what field does not need an infusion of new approaches and fresh thinking? Yeah, I think today probably the the number one need in business is innovation. Are you just going to get run over? And so a lot of times just repackaging an old idea is certainly a, a, an amount of creativity. So in many ways, um, I, I introduced you as the author, but in a lot of ways you are really, you've really curated a curriculum that's being taught in, in the school. Are you giving away the secrets now? Do we Can we buy this book and save, what, the thousand hours or so? No. I'm curious why you're bringing this to the world now. Yeah, my my motto is I want to give it away. I right, really right. want as many people to be equipped with these practices as possible. I think that the kinds of challenges that we have in the world today are really difficult, right? Whether that's just the last 18 months that we've all experienced with an economy behaving in totally new ways, a society that's being reorganized rapidly, new health concerns, new social issues. We are just all in need of ways to approach problem solving differently. And so I wrote this book because I don't want you to have to come to the Stanford campus just to be able to take these classes or try out these practices. I think they are nearly universally applicable. And it felt like it was the right moment, right? These are challenging times that we live in. And I want as many people to feel confident in their creative abilities as possible. Um, what role does leadership come into the book itself and into uh, uh, D school in terms of we're teaching leadership? And that's probably not on the brochure. Maybe it is, but but it's certainly it feels like it's an element uh, of the book. It is definitely it's deeply interwoven. So for me, one of the core ideas is that to get the most out of your team or your company, your organization. As a leader, you actually have to know how to set the conditions for the creativity of other people to emerge. There's no single one of us that knows all the answers. There's no way we can keep up with all the possible data or interpret it ourselves. So we actually have to build a team where we're asking other people to exercise their creativity. But that is challenging to the sort of older models and philosophies of what leadership looks like. Like you can imagine the leader is the person who has the vision. The leader is the person who sets the direction. The leader is the person who holds the accountability. But actually, I believe in a much more distributed type of leadership. And I think that's the kind of leadership that an organization be much more creative and much more nimble. And one of the ways in which that shows up is empowering your team to be able to take small creative risks and try experiments and to engage in the kind of parallel thinking that's low risk, but nonetheless allows you to explore when you're not quite sure what the answer is or what the solution is, how do you actually explore multiple different ideas rapidly to bring to market the thing that actually is going to make the most sense for your customers? Well, certainly a lot of recent research would suggest that today's worker under 40, i just throw a number out, wants that kind of environment too. I think so. I think more and more young people are seeing that sort of creativity is an inalienable right. Mm -hmm. And they want to be in in an environment where some of those more human needs are tended to. And I think that as leaders or managers above the age of 40, we we have to figure out how do we actually get the most out of those that that younger generation. And that means understanding them. And I do think you're exactly right that the ability to exercise that creativity and the the right amount of autonomy is really important in today's workplace. Well, how do you, I'm guessing probably people that are, that come to the program are maybe 
have bought into this idea a little bit already. They're not just being subjected to it. I'd say you have to go do this. But I'm sure that you encounter people, and certainly the book is written for people that consider themselves maybe not creative necessarily. So, you know, how do you unlock that or at least get them to rethink, you know, their sort of relationship with creativity? For me, it's all about small steps. And actually, this is why I, the title is Creative Acts for Curious People. I think a little tiny bit of curiosity is the thing that you need to get started. I don't think you already have to view yourself as someone who's deeply creative or has a lot of creative abilities or skills, but you just need to be a little curious about the world. And there are a lot of practices in the book that are about helping you train your curiosity or train your attention to get inspired and sparked by some of the everyday ordinary things that might be around you. Well, and it's funny you use the word train and practice because there is really an element of that, right? And some of it's just, I haven't done this before. I don't know where to start. And talk a little bit about some of the the exercises. I, I jotted down a couple of them, how to talk to strangers, designing tools for teams, expert eyes, talk about what somebody can expect, what the objective is of those, and, and maybe how to bring those in that type of thing into an organization or a team. Sure. Yeah. You just named a few of my favorites. So I think how to talk to strangers is a great example of a process we might all have to retrain ourselves to have know how to do in no this. Kidding. I don't you know, know how to talk to my family. The, I know. It's been a long time since we've been in crowds. It's been a while since we've right. maybe been in a physical environment with colleagues. So how to talk to strangers was created actually to help students who maybe have are digital natives, have grown up yeah. really comfortable in an online environment, actually start to go out and explore the world a little bit more fearlessly. And to do one of, one of the things in design that we really like is to be provoked by the unexpected, to put ourselves in situations in which we're unfamiliar so that we can learn new things and exercise that curiosity. How to Talk to Strangers is a very simple set of missions in which you experiment with what happens when you uh, walk around an environment and every time you encounter a stranger, you smile and you make eye contact. Then you just jot down what you might notice about that. And then the next one is you might greet that person and strike up a conversation. And actually a lot of people are like, wait, I don't have that skill anymore. You're used to being on your phone when you're in line at the grocery store. So actually that's something to reacquaint yourself with and practice. And then the third mission takes it a little bit further and you need to ask someone for directions and see if you can actually maybe get their phone number and figure out like, will they continue to help you even after you've walked away? And these are just small ways to start to experience what it's like when you're trying to dive in with fresh eyes into an unfamiliar environment. Another activity that you mentioned, um, designing tools for teams, is such a great example of where most people don't necessarily think about team leadership or how your team functions as an opportunity for creativity. But this exercise gets you to go observe a team that is not one of your own team, so you don't have that kind of personal subjectivity Mm -hmm, and bias, and see what does this team need help with? Are they having trouble making decisions? Are they doing what we call they're endlessly flaring and exploring new ideas, but they never seem to come to a a point of convergence? If that's the case, you might think about what might be some tools or some rituals that I could try to introduce and and try that as a quick and rapid experiment in leadership. As I listened to you talk about uh, talking to strangers, I wondered if you needed to have versions for, say, Palo Alto versus Queens or something like that in New York. I, I could see the interaction being different. The interaction might be different, but and that's part of the that's part of the what's interesting. The other thing that often happens is that whatever your expectations are about the interaction, it's sometimes challenged by the reality of the situation. And that's a core like there's going to be a friendly person in a Palo Alto context and somebody who's too busy to talk to you and brushes you off. And the same thing is true in Queens. 
And part of what that kind of get out of the classroom or get out from behind your desk mentality in design is all about is putting yourself in the way of challenging your own preconceived ideas. And that is incredibly useful to help us like make fewer assumptions to explore the world with a little bit more of an open-minded perspective and also to tune into what other people might need from your design work, not just your own sense of what you want to, what you want to start out with and deliver. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor with HubSpot's CRM platform. It's easy to align your team. Look, managing conversations with prospects and customers throughout all stages of their journey can be tough. I mean, information gets lost between departments. HubSpot wants to change that. That's why they created a CRM platform that makes it easy to align across teams. With HubSpot's unified system of record, all teams can create a better customer experience without missing a beat. With a unified system of record, teams can get access to all of the contacts history so they can have a more informed conversation with prospects and customers and build personalized content. When your systems are cobbled together, your data, channels, and teams are disjointed. There's no single source of truth and no common reporting. Customer experience suffers. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. What role does making yourself uncomfortable play in this? For a lot of young people who do that particular how to talk to strangers assignment, they're they're quite fearful from the yeah. at the beginning, right? And the opportunity to challenge those fears in a really low risk way is what that activity, for example, is all about. And in fact, we have this philosophy at the D School in general that's borrowed from the field of psychology called guided mastery. We want to give you a small experience that's very low risk of doing something, trying a little new behavior that might feel a little Mm -hmm. tiny bit uncomfortable. And then, oh, you surprise yourself. You can do that. You can Mm -hmm. learn something from that. Oh, now we're going to up-level it a little bit. We're going to make it a little bit more complicated. And so in our classes, for example, the first design projects a student might work on are really straightforward. They're almost like a workbook. They're all contained within the classroom. And then you might add a little more complexity. And then you might add a real world partner. And by the end, the student has actually really figured out, oh, I can navigate a lot of ambiguity in my design work. I can figure out how to set my own constraints. I can figure out what the right tools are to be using. And that's when you see students really start to embody those practices. And then, oh, this is a student who's going to be able to go on and adapt it to whatever job they end up in, whatever career they end up doing. One of the things I experienced over this last year is that just what you started describing, we weren't comfortable. There was a high level of ambiguity you know, in, brought into our everyday lives. And that actually, I think, allowed change to happen faster and people to change behaviors faster because all of a sudden they had no choice. I'm wondering if, if that... You wrote this book during the pandemic. I actually had, I signed a contract on my latest book, March 15th, 2020. So I wrote, you know, uh, through that too. And it definitely colored my work. I did not write a, like how to market in a pandemic book, but it definitely colored some of my thinking. I'm wondering if you experienced the same thing and to what level. I did. I think for me, it was hard to stay at home when there were so many challenging problems going on. And so one, I felt like the urge to connect with people was stronger than ever, even though the the barriers were real and the, the need to stay at home was very important, obviously, from a public health standpoint. Right, right. And there are a lot of there are a lot of methods in this book that are really joyful and inspiring and about connecting with people. And so for me, I was getting to deal with this like very rich subject matter, but at the same time, it felt like how do we actually adapt all of this? 
for the, the context as we're living in it today. And that tension was present for me, but also it felt urgent. I felt like I really want to get these ideas out there because more than ever, as I said at the beginning, like we need creative approaches and we need to cultivate that mindset of we, we sh it shouldn't take a crisis to rethink some of how we do things, right? right? To make our offices and our work environments more human, to bring a little bit more of a spirit of play and curiosity and open eyes and an open mind into the innovation work that we do. So it both felt like there was some interesting push and pull with the content. And I also was like a recommitment to the core premise of a lot of these ideas. How related in your mind are the acts of design thinking and collaboration? They are very related, but they're not synonymous, I would say. So the it's really important that people have an individual practice as well as a collaboration practice. And that's a balance that I tried to strike in the book. So there are things like one of, one of those activities, train your curiosity is really about understanding what fuels you, what keeps you inspired. And then there are many experiences that are about how do you just relate to one other collaborator, even including at a distance, right? Stuff you can do on zoom or online. Mm -hmm. And then there are a lot of activities where actually you're going to feed off of the energy of a group, right? To get the kind of divergent thinking that might take your, your brainstorming or your prototyping in all kinds of different directions. Having a group of people who, particularly people who are different than you and think differently mm -hmm. than you do, incredibly valuable. So I would say it's, there's a spectrum, but there, there is, and there's overlap, but there's important work for individuals to do for themselves as well as to become equipped to lead well and equipped to collaborate. That was a bit of my point was that somebody goes through your program, somebody reads your book, there is a pretty, and embraces some of the ideas there and, and some of the exercises, it probably makes them a better collaborator is what part of what I was getting at there. I think so. I think part of what makes you a good collaborator is self-awareness. And that's being like aware of your own, what trips you up? What are you maybe a little bit nervous about when you're, it's like, are you someone who's, I have all these big ideas, but I don't, have quite have the courage to share them? Or are you somebody who's, I have these ideas, but I don't know how to build them into a format where other people can test them. There's yeah. you as an individual have particular things to work on. And then that awareness can be brought into the group. So then you're able to show up and say, Hey, here are the things I do really well. And here are the types of partners that I like, or the types of collaborators that I need to get me all the way through a complex project. Or, or worse, I would say the leader who believes they have to have all the answers. Yeah, I think that's a really dangerous <laughs> mindset right now. Yeah. We just, one, things are moving so fast and changing so quickly. And two, we really need to figure out how do we have diverse perspectives in any team for any product or service that we're creating? Because no one person, and really even no one team can fully encompass all of the diverse experiences that a customer might have. And so figuring out how do we actually become more collaborative in how we do our work and how we think about innovation, incredibly important. One of the, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I get pitched a lot of people's books, a lot of you know people's ideas for this show. Thankfully, I'm glad I do. I can't do them all, but the word curious in the time actually was a trigger for me. I drove my parents crazy. I drive my wife crazy because I have to know how everything works and why. And so I, I feel like it's a superpower at the same time. It's a bit challenging too. What, what do you tell people who maybe aren't wired that way already? How do you stay curious? Wow, that's such a great question. I really think there's, for me, there's a couple of things that I find myself routinely turning to. One is variety. 
So I think routines are the enemy of curiosity. Like you just, and there, there's important reasons for routines. Like they reduce your cognitive load, but sometimes actually what you want is to disrupt that sort of your mental models around things, even as simple as driving a different way to the supermarket and trying to notice something you've never noticed in your very own neighborhood. Like that little tiny way of thinking about it is important. The other thing that's so important, I think, is just downtime and allowing your brain to have some space. And that is something that I find people, we are rusty at as a society. Mm-hmm. And even, even if you're a music lover, as I know you are, and I am as well, like sometimes not listening to music, just having the silence, allowing your brain to daydream in a different way makes you like, just makes those neurons connect in a different way and kind of fuels that curiosity. One activity I'll hugely endorse in the book is called the derive, in which you take a walk that is a drift through your neighborhood or through an environment. And you will notice all kinds of things that you have never seen before, even mm-hmm. if you're really familiar with that environment. And it just reminds you that your brain is actually taking in so much more than what you're conscious of. Those kinds of moments, those kinds of like ways to reconnect to your own innate abilities, that for me just continues to fuel curiosity. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're describing mindfulness to tell you as you're actually being aware. There, There's a great Thoreau essay called Walking that I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he actually calls it sauntering. But it, it definitely describes that idea of a need to just go out and wander and walk. All right, my last question for you is, and I think it's always tough when somebody writes a book about creative creativity, about how to be creative. Do you feel any uh, external pressure to go to the coffee shop and order more creatively? Do you ever feel like there's a bullseye on you to, oh, she's not being creative? That's a lovely question to receive, I have to say. I, I do think that's, you know, what you're describing is attached to that binary phenomenon we have of like, thinking that some people are creative and some people are not creative. The reality is we're all creative and sometimes we're expressing that creativity and sometimes we're expressing our need to be routine and simple and straightforward. And so I do think that we could all make our life. I think the word mindfulness that you just used, I want to be mindful about when am I stepping into a creative mode? Is that mode reflective or is it generative? Am I tinkering with something? Am I building something with my hands? And then I also want to be like, when am I recharging that creativity by not trying to come up with something new, by actually just steeping in someone else's incredible writing or incredible art and or in nature? So I think there is sometimes that pressure that gets attached to people who are seen. I, I really d- disagree with this term, but seen as creatives. I just think that's what being a human is. You are creative. And if we can lift up the creativity of the people around us, it takes more, you know, takes the pressure off of us as individuals. And it's just a more reflective way of, of being fully human. I asked that question to a lot of people because years ago I had Stephen Covey on the show and he had just written Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, which was a kind of a follow-up book. And he said, I wish I hadn't written that book. I can never go out with my children now <laughs> because everybody is judging me. Yeah, right. Awesome. Thanks so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Tell people where they can find out more about, obviously, the book itself or get copies of the book or your work or, or the work of the D-School. Yeah, I'd love for people to come check out the D-School website. It's just dschool stanford.edu. There's a books section. And I should say, we're actually publishing a whole range of books at the D School on lots of different topics. This is the first one. So you can check it out there, or you can also go straight to dschoolbooks.com. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. And hopefully now that we can all get back out there on the road, we can meet in person someday. 
My pleasure. It would be great to do that at some point. Nice to meet you, John. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.